Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Snake Oil Radio here on Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, uh, Jim Ventura. Uh, thanks for tuning in today. If it is your first time uh, tuning into the uh, radio show, um, a little bit about me. Uh, my name is Jim Ventura. I am a, uh, a navigational consultant. I have expertise in uh, astrology and numerology and tarot and animal cards and all kinds of uh, good oracles that I've worked with for many, many years. Uh, I do do uh, private sessions uh, by phone and in person here in my home office, uh, counseling and coaching work. And I am also a uh, writer and a teacher. Uh, my first book was published a couple of years back, self-published, called Dirty Little Secrets. That's available on Amazon. I know you can contact me directly to get a copy of that. Uh, very good, entertaining book. I might talk a little bit about that today. And um, I also uh, teach classes on intuitive development and uh, how to read oracles and all kinds of good stuff as well. So uh, I've been doing a uh, blog column for about five years now called Snake Oil, and uh, a few years back I decided to translate the uh, the idea of the column, the monthly column, into a radio show. So um, now we are weekly here, uh, every Thursday. In fact, um, I will be moving, uh, this will be my last 2 o'clock Mountain Standard Time broadcast as of February the first show on Thursday in February, we're going to be moving to 3.30 um, Mountain Standard Time. So uh, you can catch us a little bit later on. Uh purpose of snake oil is to really uh, give people some insight into uh, how to veer and, 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 and stand in a line between practicality and using spirituality in our lives and understanding that our thoughts create a reality and that we have uh, far more abilities and talents and things than we're aware of. And there are lots of things along our path that can help us um, to really uh, manifest a happier, more abundant, joyful life. And that really is something that I, I not only like to focus on for myself, but also to work with clients and help teach them about as well. So uh, traditionally, typically what I usually do on my show is I will uh, often read my monthly column and then talk about that for a little while and then inevitably turn over the uh, phone lines to begin to take uh, callers and um, who might have some personal questions that they would like if they want a quick little mini reading of sorts or um, if they, uh, even better yet, if they want to comment on the, the subject matter that we're working on for the day. So normally I do that usually at the the first show of each month. I will do a uh, again we'll we'll read the column and then go from there. Uh, generally the second or the third show each month I usually do an interview show, and then uh, the third and the fourth show of each month I leave open to uh, direct according to wherever the winds are blowing for the day or what callers may want to uh, share. So. Uh, if you have not already uh, been added to my monthly mailing list to get the column, uh, you can email me at VenturaSage at Yahoo.com, or you can hit me at VenturaWords at Mac.com. Either email will work, and you can get some information 
on um, how to uh, how to just get on the mailing list. It's free, um, and your name is never blind copied. Uh, it's blind copied, so you know no one's ever going to get your email. And I really only send the column out once a month. Uh, it's a great column. I've gotten a lot of kudos for it, and I'm sure uh, most of my listeners will really, really enjoy the insight that they get from it. I've been told by a lot of people that it can feel like getting a reading or, um, uh, you know, by, by even reading the column. Or that I'm also told by a lot of people that I often will talk about subjects in the column that people are really thinking about or analyzing or on their mind anyway. So, you know, we've gotten a lot of synchronicity around that particular theme or issue. Uh, so I think certainly a significant thing to to uh, to check out. So, again, it's free to get added to the mailing list, so absolutely don't hesitate to ask. And also, um, if you want a copy of my book, absolutely contact me through email, and we'll get a copy of that out to you. I also have it available on um, audio disc, where you can play it in a DVD player or a computer and just listen. Uh, I recorded that in a studio a couple of years back, too, and it's a great way to hear the stories of the book. Okay, so um, another thing I kind of wanted to bring up on the show today as well, too, is... Um, a little bit about uh, reaching me for private sessions, if that's something that you're interested in. Uh, you can go to my website, uh, which is uh, http webmaccom words if you want to get some information on how to do a personal session with me. Um, I do do a good 50% of my clientele by... Um, phone. So what I'll do is I'll record the session on an audio tape and I'll mail it out to you afterwards and then you can simply pay for the session by check or run a credit card. So, but we uh, one thing I always like to tell my clients is that um I'm I'm kind of not a psychic hotline, so um you have to kind of book a session usually a couple of days and sometimes a week or so or two in advance. Uh, I am fairly busy, but I always keep the doors open to to uh, work with new clients. So, uh, but yeah, you know, calling and in, in, or emailing, expecting an appointment that day is is probably not going to happen unless I happen to have a cancellation for that day. So, anyway, well, on to some bigger and better things. We'll wait to see if we get any calls. If you're listening and you'd like to uh, call in and have a question or uh, comment about anything you, about your own personal life or that you want to talk about. Um, the call-in number here is 646-200-3966. So again, that's 646-200-3966. And um, if, you, uh, if you get on hold for a little bit, if I'm talking to someone else, please just hang. Uh, I'll try to keep the phone conversations to five minutes or so for every caller uh, that calls in so we can talk to everybody who may call in today. Well, if anybody calls in today, sometimes I've had shows where nobody called in. I just had listeners or people that kind of were hanging out in the chat room and just didn't really want to call in, and that's cool too because anyone who's listened to me before knows that I can talk. So anyway, I'm going to talk for a little bit. Um, I had no uh, specific uh, plan of a subject or topic today. Um, I was going to let my uh, listeners direct that. So... Um, Again, uh, if anybody uh, is interested in calling in and has a question or a comment about something they'd like to talk about, absolutely feel free to do that, and we'll see where the winds blow. Um, 
You know, uh, well, uh, one of the things that that's going on here. I'm actually in Phoenix, um, so uh, we've certainly heard a lot about. Um, there's a lot of bad weather all over the country right now, too, especially in the Northeast. I think they're getting hit pretty hard with with bad weather and a lot of snow and and, and crap hitting them. Uh, you know, it is the middle of winter. It's late January. So that is to be expected, I think, in those areas. Um, it's funny because I'm actually originally from New York, and uh, I've actually been in Phoenix for over 20 years now, which is hard to believe. I moved out here in my early 20s, um, and um, I lived on Long Island for years. And actually, that was one of the reasons that I really actually also wanted to get out of Long Island. I have to say, I'm you know, very happy that I grew up in New York and a tremendously good place to grow up and lots of good things about the Northeast and New York in particular. But one thing I was never a big fan of was weather. Um, you know, you did get nice summers and springs, but as a general rule, the falls and the winters were really tough, and the winters just never seem to end. So I'm definitely probably a bit more of a warm-weather type of person um, in my um, in my, uh, in, in, in my perceptions and what I'm, what I'm comfortable with in that sense. So I've actually been out here for a number of years. And, you know, one of the things I always like to – I think this would be an interesting subject to talk about because it looks like we've got some listeners, but we don't have any call-ins at this point, so you can hear me babble. Is oh, drinking coffee here and I'm burning my lips. Okay, be a little more careful. Okay, so one of the things I like to talk about is the 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 dynamic of the influence of weather and the human psyche. Because I mean, I, I really I know in this culture that we're not really taught that we have any type of influence on the weather. And even when I say that, you know, I I think people automatically. Um, think of, um, you know, like, you know, in other words, bringing rain, one would do a rain dance in order to bring rain. And while I, I think that that's certainly feasible, I'm sure uh, in other cultures they have uh, done this type of thing, you know, I, I do like to remind everyone that not only do we create a reality individually, but we also create it in mass. And what that means is we you know, our energies combine together to some extent to affect and even create weather. So, um, it, you know, it, I guess this would make sense for a lot of people intuitively, while a logical minds might have a little bit of a difficult time grasping this in that sense. Um, but, you know, when you know when storms come in that sense, not only are they a physical reality in terms of their manifestation, obviously, but also, uh, by the same token, you know, we can recognize that sometimes areas have a lot of turbulent emotion or energy that's blocked up you know, collectively from a lot of people. And then often you'll see storms come into these areas in that sense and either, you know, cause destruction and do some clearing or just, in essence, even in a more positive sense, simply clear the air in that sense. So... One of the things that we are, um, again, not really taught in this particular culture and in our worldview is that, again, we do have an influence on the elements to some extent as well, too. But again, as an individual, we have to recognize that while we do create our own experience through our thoughts and our beliefs, our, um, you know, our influence on weather is also more of a kind of an energetic collective 
consciousness perception as well, too. Um, so we, we, we really, in essence, we do in many ways influence the weather. But again, we do this more in a larger sense. Um, you know, you can see this kind of a concept and, and see this idea in in other ways in that sense. Um, you know, we collectively as human beings, we, we belong to certain pools or um, structural uh, groupings that we're all part of. For instance, let me give you an obvious example of this in that sense. If you're a Catholic, to some extent you not only are a Catholic, but you also are collectively in the Catholicism pool in that sense of other people who share a viewpoint, a perception about Catholicism. We could see the same thing occurring, of course, in um, in issues of, of race and ethnicity. I think I said that correctly. Um, you know, if ever you know people who are Italian to some extent belong to an Italian pool in some respects. Uh, you know, people who are um, who are uh, Polish or Greek or African American or American Indian again collectively belong to a certain pool in terms of beliefs and constructs as well too. So that's very very key. So same dynamic. If someone is gay or lesbian, they are also somewhat part of that particular pool or bisexual, or uh, we can break this down into being divorced, uh, people who are um, in different age brackets. So we, we really do participate not only at an individual basis in the formation of reality, but we also, again, we do this collectively in certain areas as well, too. So um, uh, these are, again, I, you know, I, I sometimes refer to them as collective pools in that sense. So... Um, one of the things that we we see, you know, uh, eventually want to write about this and talk about this particular subject is even when it comes to the issue of things like racism, in that sense, um, there is a, uh, a a collective dynamic that occurs where racism itself can actually be a duality. For instance, I'll you know I'll, I'll use myself as an example of a pool that I belong to. Um, I am a, a gay male uh, in terms of sexual orientation. Now, many other things. I'm half Italian. I'm half German. I am a redhead or reddish blonde. Um, I am someone who works out and, and has a fairly buff body. I mean, uh, I am a spiritual counselor. There's a number of things that I am. But one of those things is I belong to the quote-unquote collective gay pool in that sense as well, um, which is a uh, you know a smaller percentage of the population than necessarily the heterosexual population, but still a pretty large pool, which really actually exists within all cultures, um, uh, uh, contrary to some people's delusional belief that some cultures don't have um, homosexuals. Every every culture does, as well as the animal kingdom and and, and all over in that sense. It is basically a uh, a natural part of life. It's just a smaller percentage in that sense. Um, so that said, there's all kinds of beliefs that people have collectively as as gay people in that sense. And certainly many people who are gay um, believe that there is a victimization or a difficulty in being gay. I personally don't actually believe that. So I may be uh, someone that somewhat steps outside of that pool of perception because while there was a time when I did believe that when I was younger, before I really came to terms with my sexuality and came out of the proverbial closet and all that good stuff, 
I had, um, you know, I had a lot of fear around acceptance and tolerance and how difficult it would be um, and how challenging the whole concept would be to come out and whether it would hurt people or make my friends leave me or family abandon me, all of those things. So I did collectively believe in that pool of victimization that was uh, part of um, a lot of gay and lesbian people's perceptions. And, you know, I'm not arguing over the accuracy of it in that sense, but uh, certainly there can be uh, difficulty uh, being a gay or lesbian, uh, depending on where you grow up and where you're raised and what type of religious influences are around you and how you feel about yourself and all kinds of things. But what I am kind of bringing up and kind of pointing out here in that sense is, while the collective pool may agree on something, as individuals we can choose to disagree with the perception of that pool. And, you know, this is something that I went through uh, in my late 20s to early 30s. I came out of the closet and actually talked about this in my book, my first book, Dirty Little Secrets, in uh, in greater detail. And um, it was a very profound thing because what I found was that um, not only were the majority of my family and friends more comfortable with it than I would have thought, but I also realized that I was no longer victimized by it because I was sort of keeping myself in that particular place. Um, so I, I, you know, in the in the last you know uh, 16 years of my life since I've been uh, comfortably out as a gay male, I have to tell you I really have never experienced any type of aggressive um, uh, a difficulty from human beings or mistreatment because of this issue. Uh, completely, like absolutely not at all. It just doesn't even exist for me in that sense. And, yeah, even before, um, while I was doing things like waiting tables and bartending, um, you certainly, in most of those structures, you're dealing with a much more open-minded, tolerant type of a um, crowd of people as opposed to maybe someone in an office somewhere in the heart of Utah or something, you know what I mean, in an area or, you know, Mississippi or a place where there may be more of a judgment about it. But again, I had not experienced any type of of difficulty from it. In fact, in in my perceptions now of it, in any many ways, it's actually somewhat easier. Um, I'm not currently in a partnership, but um, you know, theoretically at least, and this anyone I think can probably grasp. While there may be um, some difficulties from society and, and people's perceptions of it. It, purely at a practical level, it is theoretically easier to be gay. And, and let me kind of tell you why. Um, if you're attracted to the same sex, you're not dealing with what heterosexuals have to deal with, which is coming and being attracted to you, someone that's somewhat your opposition. In other words, um, you know, who would understand a woman's body, her cycles, her moods better than another woman? The same dynamic can occur with men. Who would understand... Um, the way a male thinks and functions other than another man. So you know, strangely enough, if you really think about this, there really can actually potentially be more of an ease within uh, homosexual relationships than necessarily um, heterosexual relationships because, you know, for instance, males are very, very visual in their perception while females are far more auditory in that sense. Um, there's a There's a different way men and women approach things in general. So when you're in a same-sex relationship, again, you're often really coming somewhat from the same page, at least in those terms. So 
um, not that um, you know mentioning any of this to to convince anyone of, of the the benefit of either side. Uh, the reality is your sexual orientation is formed actually by the time you're three. Um, all this debate about choosing a sexuality, when it happens, or whether it has to do with having a good or bad father, uh, all of that's crap, by the way, in that sense. The reality is your sexual orientation is largely formed by the time you're three, and um, really, I think, in, in all reality, that's even more likely, as a, it's sort of a life choice that's chosen before birth as a context for experience. In all practicality, you know, in terms of reincarnational experience, one out of ten of your lifetimes are likely to be um, homosexual, approximately. Uh, you know, it, again, it's just experiential in that it's a different type of experience, and the soul itself, of course, explores many options. So getting back around to the point of this subject, um, you know, again, we really, really, while there there certainly is validity in um, whether a person experiences difficulty at the hands of being a part of a, a sexual group or a re- race or a religious group or, uh, is, that's persecuted, the truth is, you know, there's an element of this that exists within the collective psyche of the group that you're potentially part of to some extent. So that's something that is very, very, very key in us recognizing as human beings that we we do not only individually create a reality and have an experience, but we also connectively link with other people that are part of our groups in that sense as well. That's why I think it's very, very important for people to really, really recognize the value of, of being a leader and being unique, um, even if you're part of a specific structure. You know, I say this in a, in a more um, in more uh, humorous terms when I talk about the idea of not being a living cartoon. So, <laughs> in other words, if you're gay, you know, if you are wearing 72 rainbow flags and you're a male who's extremely effeminate, or a, uh, a lesbian woman who is, you know, walking around with a tool belt. Um, you know, I say this humorously. In some ways, that that's participating in a in a, in a cartoon at some level as well. I would I'd really recommend people develop their own unique talents, abilities, and personalities outside of um, what they believe they're supposed to be. In that sense, which I think is 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 very very typical. Yeah, you know, we can even look at this in terms of New Age people in that sense because. Um, you know, I have found this, one of the things I've always found about people who are other readers or who are psychics or who are or people who meditate or who are um, somewhat quote-unquote new age in tone is at one level um, I often find, you know, you're often really dealing with some of the most open-minded, tolerant people on the planet. You really, rarely find a new age people that are homophobic or you know, hateful toward other races or things. It does, you know, as a general rule, we often find mature older souls gravitating to these type of things. So we we do have more of an open-mindedness and our tolerance that's there. But the cartoonist side of it can be that, you know, some people that are readers can kind of get a little bit into the cuckoo bird type of dynamic as well, too. I always remember um, a story that I had a a gentleman I met in, in Sedona who was very eager to hang out with me and talk with me because he was a reader and he read cards and various things. He was a very, very nice guy, but he uh, always remember that he uh, asked me um, for my phone number and I asked for his and he said, well, I can't give you my number because I don't have a phone, 
because I don't believe in that. I don't believe in phones. I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm not into following these cultural things that we're supposed to be and do. And uh, so he gave me the number of a friend that he was staying at and said it would probably be very, very difficult for me to get hold of him anyway because the friend hardly ever answered his phone and sometimes didn't give him the messages, but that I should keep trying. Well, I say this with love, but I, I kind of tossed that phone number. I mean, it was just sort of a silliness to me in that sense. And I, I thought about that as being somewhat of a new age cliche, almost in the extreme, that you don't believe in phones and you, you don't live in your own place. And you don't, I mean, you know, uh, I'm all for people living and being whoever they are and being fulfilled and being happy. But I think we live in a practical world in that sense. And I think that there's a value in coming to terms with those things. And, uh, you know, again, a phone is a difficult thing to completely not have. I can grasp maybe not having a TV or things of that nature, but a phone to me, oh, that's probably one of those things that I, I think most people probably would need. Okay, so I'm babbling away about this subject. If anyone like has any questions um, that they'd like to ask, I want to keep throwing the phone number up. Otherwise, I'm going to keep talking through the rest of the, the next 15 minutes of our show here. So if you have a question or a comment, please feel free to call in at 646-200-3966. Again, that's 646-200-3966. You might have to dial a 1 before you make the call but uh, if anybody has a question or a comment or a point of view they want to share or would like a little mini uh, reading from me, uh, just a couple of minute uh, uh, pull of a card or a, a rune, um, I'm open to doing that. So feel free to, to consider that if that's of interest to you. And so it's funny when I do this show because sometimes I get bombarded with callers <laughs> and other times uh, the phone lines are silent. Um, which is fine. Again, I know there are often people that are listening in any way and just prefer to not be um, chatting. So nothing wrong with that, guys. Okay. So back to our, our subject at hand. So what I've been talking a bit about today is about you know how we not only individually create our reality, but we also do it uh, in mass, meaning that we, we participate in larger constructs and creations with the groups and the structures of the people around us. Now, it's funny because um, I, I recently uh, did a personal session with a, um, uh, a client who it was her first time having a, um, a tarot card reading, and she was very excited about it. She was also a bit nervous, which is really, really not uncommon for people to be a little bit nervous when they're having a reading uh, of that sort done. I always try to calm people down and remind them that it's not really going to necessarily get anything that you don't already know at some levels. And that's exactly what happened. She, we, we, we did the Tarot reading, and we, we talked about the meaning of the cards. And uh, she was very excited about it, and it really fit with where she was in her life. And she had said, kind of surprisingly as we were finishing up, she said, wow, this was really, really good, but I, I don't know if you necessarily told me anything that I didn't already know at some levels. And I said, ah, now we've clicked into some interesting uh, perceptions here because the truth is, you know, the tarot is a, a tool that we can use that really, really, if used correctly and, and enhance uh, people that understand how it works, in essence what the tarot is actually doing is it's showing the process, your current process and possibly even a future process of where you're likely to head through card symbols 
that give you insight into what's going on in your own psyche and your own world and, in truth, your own creation process. So uh, it's fascinating when you look at it from that angle because you realize, again, that, you know, again, our thoughts will always create our experience and our reality. But what's great about working with something, a tool like the Tarot, for example, is it is a tremendously valuable way of seeing, almost in a tangible way, what's going on in your own psyche and what the primary influences are that are around you. So we have a comment in my chat room here from, uh, obviously, a Tarot fan, because they call themselves Tarot One. So welcome to the show, Tarot One. And Tarot One writes uh, that he or she loves the cards. Absolutely. Uh, I do as well, too. You know, it's funny, and I'm going to shift gears a little bit and talk about the Tarot. Um, But what's funny about it is I often tell people that really a very, very wise decision when you're beginning to, if you decide you want to learn how to read an oracle, so you know, let, let me give anyone who's not familiar with what the word oracle means. An oracle is a, a device or something that helps you to um, helps you to to read and understand and, and bridge an intuitive gap in that sense. So you know, astrology to some extent is an oracle. Numerology, tarot cards, animal cards, angel cards, rune stones. There's a ton of different types to go with. And um, hello, tarot one as well too. Thanks for saying hello. Um, but uh, there's a many, many different types of tools to work with. What's very, very funny is often when people will make the decision that they want to learn how to read an oracle, they will often choose tarot cards because it's probably the one that most people are familiar with. Now, here's the rub. Um, it's kind of like picking up tarot cards. is kind of like deciding you're going to learn mathematics and jumping from basic mathematics into algebra. Uh, tarot is not an easy uh oracle to learn or master it is uh it's a, a, a great one to learn to master it's one of the best because it's so tremendously detailed which i think is what's most fascinating about the tarot but um it is absolutely not an easy system to learn you have in essence generally 78 cards then uh for most of us there are reversed meanings to those cards as well too uh this is a lot of um that's a lot of information to take in for a beginner on learning how to read an oracle. So in actuality, I often suggest for people when they're looking to learn how to read an oracle that um, something like rune stones or angel cards, um, something that will start out a bit more simplistic is actually often a better starting point. What I find that happens with people when they, they, they decide they want to learn the tarot, and I've taught many tarot card reading classes, and I love to teach people how to read the card the tarot, um, is what will happen is they'll they'll start learning how to read the cards, and then be overwhelmed by how much there is to learn, or be confused at early readings because they didn't make sense to them, and they'll just be then they'll drop it and they'll just be like you know and the tarot gets pushed to the side and they never touch it again. Um, very much like people do with gym memberships a lot of times. It's New Year. I'm going to work out. I'm going to become in great shape. I'm going to go to the gym five days a week. I'm going to go from nothing to an hour a day five days a week. I say this with love. Good luck with that. <laughs> because the reality is, again, it can become overwhelming. It's much better to take a slower, steady approach up. So Tarot absolutely operates this way as well, too. Um, uh, great point that uh, my friend in the chat room has made here. Yeah, it's difficult because of the depth of the symbolism. And in a nutshell, 
for anyone listening that's kind of not familiar with tarot, to kind of break it down, you really have two types of cards. You have major arcana cards, and then you have minor arcana cards. The major arcana cards are 22 primary archetypal symbols that we, uh, that we, uh, that we all draw from at some levels. For instance, the card number, it's actually number zero, is the Fool card. And the imagery in the traditional terms is showing uh, a man getting ready to step off a cliff. He's got a, his little trusty dog by his side. He's looking up. He has a little um, stick with uh, his belongings on it, and he's about to jump off a cliff. Um, we don't want to take that so literal to mean that it means you're going to get ready to kill yourself by any means. But the fool symbolizes the excitement, enthusiasm, and the blindness that can come when we begin a new venture when we initiate something with the excitement of a beginning in that sense. So there's always risk. Really, in reality, if you are even, uh, even when you flirt with another human being, you know, some part of you is taking a risk. You know what I mean? Because you flirt with someone and they, uh, they might reject you. They might embrace you. You know what I mean? You never really know what's going to happen when you, when you take that risk. So the fool card embodies this idea of the happy joyousness of risk while still uh, recognizing that it's risk. So I use that. That's one of many cards. There's a lover's card. There's a universe card. There's the tower. All of these are archetypal symbols. So what those are uh, representative of and when they show up at a tarot spread is they really actually are, are pinpointing that we are pulling in a pool of energy, that this is a larger issue and a larger theme for us in that sense. Um, So typically when you do a tarot card spread, you will often find that, you know, spreads that have a lot of major arcana cards will often be bringing up the idea that there's kind of big stuff going on in your psyche or, or larger themes and issues that you're exploring. Whereas if the cards are more about the minor arcana, those have to do more with the day-to-day activities and details of life. Um, and and uh, then, of course, there also are the court cards. These are the people cards in that sense. And you'll often see this, too, when you do a spread. If someone has a lot of people cards, it means a lot of people influencing the situation, a lot of friends, a lot of family, things of that nature. So that's actually an interesting breakdown in, in how to look at this. So really, in all probability, it's more of, of three different types of cards that you see within the, the tarot to begin with. Uh, um, and so uh, I want to mention this comment here by Tarot One. Uh, they mentioned that not only does one have to learn the cards, but one must learn psychic, intuitive, interpretive skills as well. Very, very well put, by the way. Um, absolutely. That's really what's happening here. The cards act as a bridge in that sense for your intuition. Um, they will help you open up intuitive um, links to understanding the people that you're working with, understanding yourself, understanding the, the influences that are around us. Um, it's amazing because I have found over the years that, um, you know, really by and large from having done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tarot card readings for other people and sometimes for myself that I'm amazed at the practical side of me, I guess, is still amazed at how accurate the cards can be. Um, it's almost odd to me at a practical level that they are often as accurate as they are because logically, you know, again, there's a huge difference between our intuition and our logic in that sense. And I always say in order to really function well in this world, we have to do a dance between the two of them. People that are overly logical often can lack in intuitiveness and uh, an instinct in that sense where, um, again, we need to blend those dynamics in order to operate well in life. 
So, yeah, it's fascinating from having worked with these tools for so long, um, again, how accurate they could potentially be. You know, there have been times when I found that the cards were um, inaccurate or didn't necessarily fit. But I have to tell you, by and large, that is extremely uncommon, uh, very, very rare that that occurred. And I think that more than likely um, when something like that happens, it really may have to do with a misinterpretation of the meaning of a card and how it's placed. Because that's really what's happening when you're studying Tarot and you're working with it. You really will develop skills as you continue to study that um, will really, really uh, make you a better Tarot reader through those trial and errors. Um, uh, they are, uh, again, it's, it's an intuitive tool but it is often um, really, really helpful in, in accessing your intuition and your knowingness. You know, it's funny because I've done readings for, for many, many, many years, and I do have some clients that don't want me to read cards. Um, they just want me to talk. They want me to tell me what I pick up intuitively, and I actually can do that with no problem. I think there's a part of me that I, I love the cards and I have many different cards that I work with, too. I love the cards because I think it's the Taurus rising part of me. My sun sign is Sagittarius, but my, my rising sign is Taurus. And I, I think it's that practicality that I, I find so appealing, the tangibility of it, the looking at it on the desk in that sense and seeing it as well, because it only brings you back to your intuition. Uh, um, so, okay, let's. I, I want to mention a couple of comments. If anyone's not in the chat room, Tarot, one writes, I love the tarot for magical purposes, too, not just for readings, and also the cards are interrelated and read in groupings. Absolutely. You know, and that's a good point uh, that you're also bringing up here, that really, you know, when I, you know, it's funny because when I lay out a, a Celtic cross spread, which is a spread that I usually typically use, it's probably one of the more famous spreads that a lot of tarot card readers use, even though you can absolutely, there's many different types of, of, of spreads a person can work with. You know, I actually often can look at the cards just for a minute or two, and I look for groupings. I look for connectives between the cards, and I often can get a very fast overview of what my client is going through and what the primary um, uh, gifts or struggles are during that particular period, just by a quick overview and by looking at the, um, the, the similar cards. One of the other things that can happen is sometimes you'll get a spread and the cards will seem to disagree with each other at different points. That can be a little tougher to work with, but in truth, that often is accurate too, being that simply the individual is being pulled in multiple directions and has um, conflicting ideas and beliefs that are operating. So, And again, that's very, very significant because it brings me back to my original point that I had started with, which remember... You know, people have said this to me, too, and I always laugh. Someone will say, well, I'm not going to believe what a bunch of cards say. Well, guys, you're, you're, when I hear that type of thing, you're, you're misinterpreting what the purpose of a reading is for. And also, um, it's the same thing when someone says, well, I don't believe in astrology. I always think, well, it's still going to affect you. Your disbelief in it isn't going to change it. You can you know, not believe in the Russian language, and you won't get rid of the Russian language. You just won't believe it, or you won't see evidence for its existence in that sense. Same dynamic with the tarot. You know, if you never have a tarot card reading in your life, you're going to get through life just fine. But what I have found, and I'm sure my, uh, my friend here in our chat room would probably agree with this, is you know, they point out that uh, there's something magical about the tarot. 
and uh, absolutely. And you know, I'm one of these type of people that I think I'm a, I'm a, I always consider myself a realist, and that I deal with the tangible world quite constructively. But um, I think life is really, really magical, um, and and it always has been. I think that's something that we often don't necessarily tune into. Um, I was just working with a client just about an hour ago. I did a phone reading for her, and um, she's going through a difficult separation. And, um, you know, she's struggling with the guilt around leaving the marriage and all of those things. And while we were talking and kind of getting into the heart of what was she needed to do next in her life, um, she told me that a, um, a, uh, a, a man in a yellow Corvette pulled up next to her while she was talking. And um, the man looked like her brother, and her brother used to drive a yellow Corvette, and she, her brother's deceased. And she has been praying to her brother for guidance and help in the situation. And this is exactly what happened at the moment she was at this point of really, really coming to a recognition of what she needed to do. That's when the car pulled up. And, uh, you know, that's pretty magical stuff. Again, the logical mind could start analyzing and saying, yeah, you read something into nothing. But that's pretty cool in that sense. And I think that's what's also fun about working with the Tarot. Um, there can be um, a real magic to it in that sense, a real synchronicity in that way. Um, uh, so uh, I want to also comment on this. We've only got a couple of minutes, and then we're going to be finished up here for the day. But uh, Tarot one writes, yes, some problems are complex instead of simple, and the cards can point to multiple causes of a problem. Uh, again, very, very good point. Um, I'm giving you kudos today, Turo One. You're writing some really intelligent stuff. Clearly, you're very, very knowledgeable on the subject, so thank you for your input today. But absolutely. Um, I find this happens a lot when, with Turo with, with, with the court cards. Not only do they actually represent people, but they often can represent not only specific people, but sometimes multiple people, a composite of a lot of people like that around us, but they also can represent aspects of ourselves, and they even can sometimes represent events or circumstances. So they can be very, very uh, complex. And that's one of the things, again, that can be difficult about learning the Tarot because of that tremendous complexity that exists within the cards. That's why it's a little bit of a tough oracle to learn. So if you have an interest in it, absolutely check it out. But you may want to start off a little slower and then work your way up to the Tarot. Or even more importantly, give yourself time to learn um, learn the cards. You know, I actually read tarot cards for almost four years before I actually did, for myself, before I actually did a reading for another human being. Um, it, it took me a while before I was comfortable with that. Um, that was something that, that, again, took a little time. So, again, that's my little reminder here. So, uh looks like the show's coming to an end, so I'm going to kind of sum up uh, a couple of things here and then talk to you little guys a little bit about the next show. Um so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've been talking about the Tarot today. And, uh, again, my last show, I do a show every Thursday, and my last show of each month is always uh, open forum. So it's for callers, it's for comments from people to direct the show. Um, uh, my first show is usually me reading my monthly column. second show is often an interview show. And the third and the fourth shows are more where I want to really interact with my listeners and give them an opportunity to call in or comment in the chat room and give their points of view, because there's a lot of knowledge out there. So uh, certainly feel free to share your information as well. I always appreciate the comments that people uh, share in the chat rooms as well as online when they actually call in. So thank you to Row One and anyone else who tuned in today. I know we've had some people jumping in and out of the chat rooms, and again, I was find later on that there were a number of people listening quietly. 
Um, let me mention this real quick. Tarot one right there. Once did a reading that exposed where the damage would be done to New Orleans by Hurricane Katrina. It was that spooky, ac- spooky accurate. You know, that's interesting they bring that up because I, the 9-11 crap, when that came, um, also was something I picked up on. And it came up in a reading, and I, I'll have to talk about that more in detail on another show because it was very, very interesting. In fact, I was reading a book at the time called The Individual and Nature of Mass Events, When That Occurred, Cosmic Synchronicity. Okay, I've only got a few more seconds here, so let me finish up. Again, this is Jim Ventura. Snake Oil Radio is on every Thursday. We're moving our time slot to 3.30 in the afternoon Mountain Standard Time as of February. I wanted to make sure a little later so more people can catch it. You can always catch the shows archived, by the way, if you missed one at any point uh, through the website at Blog Talk Radio or through um, iTunes. They're, they're podcasted there as well, too. Um, so uh, if you're not already getting my monthly column, email me at VenturaSag at Yahoo.com or VenturaWords at Mac.com, and you can get on my mailing list so you can get my free monthly column. Uh, people love my column, and I highly recommend it. Not getting it. Very, very good stuff here. And uh, check out my website if you're interested in my books or CDs. And uh, as always, I thank everyone for, for checking out the show and their input, and we'll talk with you guys next time. Peace out.